and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyfin, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's the Mediterranean this week? Ah, uh, the Mediterranean this week. It's its not bad, Justin. We've had a little bit of rain, but it is still uh, nice and warm. I'm just going to give you a temperature check. It's 23 degrees now at uh, five o'clock in the evening, so very, very clement. How are things in Canada? A lot colder than that. This fall, autumn, almost winter thing has has hit. Boy, do we have some seasons here. We were getting sort of one degree. Yesterday, we had a high of 10 degrees Celsius during the day, which I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit for our American listeners, but it's cold. It is hoodies and jeans and socks with shoes if I go out and a hat a wool hat if I go out in the morning. It's, um, boy, it's it's cool. It's cool. I was telling Stu that uh, I was going to complain because Stu's air conditioner usually makes the noise and I complain about it and have to fix it in the edit. Uh, now I have my heater on the other side of my office wall here and I can hear it kind of gurgling and it's like, oh, I'm going to have to edit myself. I'm going to be so grumpy about that. Well, I have no air conditioning, but I do, of course, have the fridge, which will doubtless um, star in the show a little bit later, and two very boisterous dogs. So anything could happen at this end. There'll be plenty of work for you to do this end. Story of my life, Stu. Story of my life. All right. What's new and exciting in your follow-up world? Oh, follow-up. Well, um, I as briefly sort of touched on before uh, and, well, more extensively on my blog this week, um, Markdown. So this is is all your fault. I appreciate that you're going to be getting it in the neck from more than one place this week. But um, th- those sort of very polite Canadian comments of yours just going, oh, so that data, you, you control that, do you? Uh, uh, when I was using Craft, which is a lovely app, by the way, I won't have a word said against it, but you don't have the sort of security and sureness of it's a folder on your computer, like, shall we say, Obsidian. Uh, so that got me wandering down all sorts of Markdown alleyways. And I don't know if you've been to Markdown Town, but it's a, it's a rough place out there. You've got to be a little bit careful where you end up. And uh, I, I'm now using a whole load of Markdown apps, and I don't know if they're going to work, and I don't know if they're going to stick. So I'm going to draw a veil over that now and say, what about you, Justin? Have you been spending money again? You know, after our conversation last week, and the dangerous thing is I have to put the show notes together, which means I go through and I look at all the links that we provide. The Economist 2023 planner, 109 pounds. Mm-hmm. It was in it was in my bag. I calculated how much it was going to be to get it to me, which was another twenty five plus pounds. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at it and said, "Okay, well, how much is a pound worth?" And it came to quite north of two hundred dollars Canadian mm-hmm. for a dated planner. That just seemed a little much, and I I was so proud of myself. I. I closed it down before I hit that checkout button, but I was close to, I was close. I, I haven't even gone to Smithson's yet, but. Uh, indeed. Well, I mean, the thing with the Economist Planner is it's such a wonderful thing 
I mean, it is. It is a beautiful piece of engineering, this thing. Uh, but it's enormous. I mean, you put it on your desk. I'm, I'm a lefty, as people probably know. Um, and I'm one of those that turns the paper. So <laughs> I have to turn that planner and computers, hard drives, pens, pencils go flying off the desk. Because this, it's like turning a sort of aircraft carrier on top of your desk. Mm. Um, and as a consequence, it, every time I've had one, it's it's been a wonderful desk ornament, but never really been that practical because I'm so oh I have to clear my desk why because I need to put something in my planner no this is silly this is crazy <laughs> um, so yeah you may you may have dodged a bullet there having said that if you haven't owned one of these once you haven't lived yet if you listen to stationery adjacent you probably want one of these at some point doesn't have to be this year. See your, your argument there. I have an analog desk, big, big desk for analog. So I could turn it whichever way I like and it's fine. But yes, uh, <laughs> you say that people always say that, trust me, this thing is awkward, <laughs> particularly if you do start using it because you get into the habit. You think, yeah, this is great. And I've got all this space where I can, this is wonderful. I love this. And then somebody says, right, meeting. You think, oh, right, I'll just put it in my bag. You, oh, I'm going to need a forklift truck to carry this. Yeah, luckily I don't do a lot of meetings, which is good. But uh, yeah, anyway, so 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 far I am resisting. I'm not saying it's going to last, but so far I'm resisting. You're evil, stupid. Good man. That's all I'm saying. You're evil. I, well, I'm only trying to keep up with your evil deeds oh and of course yes it's it's software week so you've up, updated everything presumably oh Stu. no ventura came out for mac uh, my my life involves a lot of complicated audio plugins and if you do word processing it's probably fine if you do email it's probably fine if you surf the internet it is probably fine if you run professional level audio processing with complicated plugins, it is guaranteed to break something. Um, I was, there's some forums that I'm on for some of the sound production stuff that I do. And I think it was, I think this came out Monday and it was probably middle of the afternoon Monday that I saw people were, I've loaded Ventura and now Logic won't open. It's just scanning my plugins. Uh, so it's, it's kind of normal first week nightmares for serious audio plugins, as I expected. Uh, I won't be doing anything with it for a while. Uh, usually even I have one machine that's a version behind and one that will eventually get to current because I don't need to do audio on both. Um, surprisingly enough, I was actually looking at this online and because of What's that uh, thing called where I can use one keyboard and one mouse on both computers? Um, okay. uh, I keep thinking stage manager, but that's a new one that doesn't work. Um, but because of, of that setting, I actually have both of my machines on the same version at the moment. Uh, but that is a rarity, so I will not be upgrading because things break. Stu, you're a podcaster. Mm -hmm. Things break in audio. Mm -hmm. What did you do? Well, um, I, I, um, I, I don't really use anything very complicated. So I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. 
Um, no, um, I was a good boy. Uh, the beast is still um, where it was. Nothing has been upgraded. Nothing has been broken. Uh, I have updated the laptop to uh, Ventura, which A, took a very long time, uh, and B, I'm now dancing the, oh, let's fix everything else dance oh. that you do when you put a new OS in. So all of my apps are now going, oh, oh, actually, we just have a minute, please. Um, and they're going off and doing what they do. Um, so I can't really comment on it because that, I only did that today and my laptop is over there. It's doing its thing. Uh, and I will sort of play with it the rest of the week. And that's my, my test bed just to see how everything runs there. Actually for me as a podcaster, it's really not that much of an issue because I, I record on GarageBand. So it's, it's an Apple app. The one thing that will probably work on the new OS. Um, because I'm very lucky in that I've got you to do all that complicated processing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what could go wrong, Stu, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I did record with um, uh, Mr. Cosgrove last night, uh, who told me that he'd updated everything. And I went, if you said that to Justin, he'd have a small heart attack. <laughs> and uh, he, he reassured me that we were actually recording on his, because he records on iPad. So. Um, it's a, it's a whole weird setup. Now we, every time I record with, with TJ, I have to sort of undo everything that I do. with you. <laughs> it's, it's all terribly confusing, but I think we got there. Um, unless you get an email from TJ in the next week, say, Justin, I need your help on an edit. Then uh, you'll know, you'll know everything when it go. Yeah, we'll see. I, you know, stupid things. Speaking of updating, can I rant a little bit? Of course you can. Uh, Apple Watch follow-up. It wasn't actually in the notes, but I just thought about it. Uh, new band works well. Uh, much better than the old band for my Apple Watch Ultra. There was a new update for the Apple Watch that came out yesterday. Mm. Um, and as I may have mentioned, I'm switching between the two Apple Watches. Yeah. So the update came out while my Apple Watch Ultra was sitting on the charger and I was wearing my other watch. Mm -hmm. I put it on. As soon as I put it on, it beeped at me and said, hey, there's an update available. You can only update if you put it back on the charger. Yep. What a pain in the rear that is. 100% on a battery that lasts for three days and it has to go back on the charger. But even better, because I have two watches, I put my other watch on, put this one on the charger, and then couldn't access it to start the update process. Mm. Eventually, because I guess I had said later on it, it started it and updated itself. But your watch app um, basically does not want you to see the other watch when you have watch number one on, watch number two is really, really hard to get to and slow. and. I was turning off switching settings and trying to access it. It just wasn't going there. It was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Apple, much like AirPlay, AirPlay is killing me, HomePods. Um, yep. You know, these things used to work. I don't know what's going on with them. But uh, anyway, I, I, I don't want to rant too much about uh, Apple this week. But uh, I'll, I'll leave that rant for Twitter next week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is that time, isn't it, when they're doing the upgrades to the uh, operating systems. Um, 
their their sort of penchant for never telling anybody anything is really annoying because as you say all my um home pod stuff airplay stuff starts going wrong um podcasts stop music stop i can't stop stuff and it's just <clears throat> and i i wish they would just you know put out a yep sorry because of an update we're doing with the ios or with you know mac os then these things might be unreliable for a week. They don't. They're just going, really? A problem with AirPlay? Are you sure? And, you know, if you listen to the same podcast as we listen to, we know there are thousands, millions of people experiencing these things. It's, it's, just, oh, it's just tiresome. But there you are. What can you do? Uh, well, you know, one thing I do do, I prefer to listen to my big old HomePods. Mm -hmm. uh, the new, more modern minis that I have on my desk are a nightmare. The other ones are slow, very, very slow to respond, but they do what they're told. I've had no problems with them, which is just the weirdest thing. But anyway, let's move <laughs> off Apple because. Yes, we could both get lost here for hours. Oh, what's your tool of the week, Stu? Uh, the, my tool of the week is, is focus. So um, I have been very strict and severe with myself. I've got uh, a lot on and I've been looking at things and going, okay, I do this. Why do I do this? Does it serve me? Is it something I need to continue doing or is it something I need to stop doing? Um, and I've stopped a, th a few things. So uh, people have got very um, sort of threatened by that. Um, and they sort of, you know, come up, but, but, but why? But, but, and I've just said, well, I, I don't want to do it anymore. So, uh, there was some drama at the golf club where uh, male golfers are very much like sort of, I don't know, disenfranchised, spoiled little brats. That's, that's probably the best phrase for them. No. <laughs> oh, yes, they are. Believe me. And, and they bicker. And um, I, was, I was playing golf in an environment with a load of people bickering at each other. And I went, do you know what? Uh, I'm withdrawing from this. You, you guys carry on, do your thing. I hope it all goes well, but I'm out. And then I had emails from the captain, email from the vice captain, uh, WhatsApp from various and sundry people, uh, approached by people who'd been approached by the captain to approach me. Lord. And of course, I, I think we're very similar in that respect. The more you try and force me to do something, the less chance you've got of me doing it. So um, that I found really liberating. And so I started looking at all sorts of things in my life going, right, okay, this, yep, right now, this isn't the right thing for me, so I'm going to stop. I'll reconsider in three months or six months. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, and I just feel a lot more in control. So that's definitely my tool of the week. Bit of focus, bit of clarity. Boom, go get it. What about you, Justin? What's your tool of the week? Well, I had I had a chat with my my good friend Stu on the weekend. Oh, don't listen to him. He's a fool. We may have talked about some of this stuff and, uh, you know, Stu looking at things. And I, I decided I'm quitting stuff too. And I've had a few projects on the go that I've had historically. They become a burden. And I may have talked about this before. I've got a, another podcast that I do that I have a Patreon for, and it's become like work mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's work that 
I don't want to do, or that is, is taking time away from things that maybe are more important. But having got years into that project, it's very hard to quit it. Sure. Um, so my other podcast, I am, I've got the Patreon. I'm, I'm killing off the Patreon. I've got a few dollars in the Patreon account. So I'm going to keep the website up for a while in, in case I come back to it and say, you know what? I haven't done this for a while. I'd really like to do something, but in my mind, I've made the decision that it's done. If I go back, it's going to be with a new light. That mental decision to relieve the burden and say it's done. Mm -hmm. There is a, a finite end date. I can change my mind, but at the moment there's a finite end date. I, I found that completely liberating to kind of make that call. I've been struggling with it for a few months. Um, and this is kind of the thing while I was on there, I was looking at, uh, my, my stationary blog, which I've been doing, I think since 2017. So I've got a good five years into it this year really hasn't been updated living where I do. You can, I'm kind of looking at what stationary blogging has become. It's, you have to have the latest, greatest thing in the latest, greatest color just to get attention. And that's fine. Um, but it's not what I want to do anymore. I'm, I'm enjoying what Stu and I do, which is picking a pen that we have used, we have loved, maybe doesn't get a lot of use and, re, and, and trying it again and loving it. And I, I don't just want to be acquiring stuff and writing about it. Uh, Stu and I were talking on the weekend about a little bit of time disenfranchised with the subscriptions at the moment. I, I haven't had a Blackwing in, well, I can't even remember when the last one was. Field notes, I've got a backlog of, you know, uh, pre-COVID, I was going through them regularly. Post-COVID, I, I work from home. I have an A5. I don't use a lot of them. And so I'm looking at those and going, is my passion for these pro these products the same as it was before? And, you know, I'm throwing money at hosting the blog every, every month. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of looked at it and went, what, where am I going with it? You know, Canada, no matter what I want to do, even if I wanted to be, Hey, let's get the stuff first. By the time stuff comes across the border three weeks later, I'm never going to be the first. So it's, it's just a, a realization of where do I want to be? And does it still resonate with me? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. So I'm going to kill it off. I'm going to look at a way to perhaps take some of that information and maybe port that over to my personal blog. Sure, yeah. You know, as as a I, because there's a lot of good writing. There's a lot of things that I was interested in that I thought were good. I'm going to see if I can do that. But it it again has a finite deadline, and you know what? It is so relieving to have these things that have been in the back of my, I got to find time to write for this. I got to find time to record this, mm -hmm. to make that call and just say, I'm done. I'm quitting. Um, boy, is it a good feeling, Stu? Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, but, um, I would also stress that you need to, to port those posts across because I think, um, they're a great archive to have, um, for, for, you know, passers by on the internet, but also for yourself to be able to look back and go, what did I think about that pen? Mm -hmm. What was my favorite? You know, it's, I think it's really useful. 
Yeah, that's that's the one thing that I will be doing over the next little while. But uh, you know, compared to compared to having to maintain and and pay for a a blog every month, um, yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be a positive move for me. Yeah, cool. Ah, excellent work. What about your pen? Big ch- changes are afoot, ladies and gentlemen. What about your pen and ink of the week, Justin? Oh, well, there's no change there, Stu. I'm still sparkling. Ah, there you are. Um, and I, I have a confession to make. Uh, one of our listeners, Bob, uh, reached out to me yesterday on Twitter. Told me he liked the pens. And about 20 minutes later, tweeted again saying he bought the Bennu. Ah, good So man. I don't feel, uh, well, I feel a little bit guilty, but I also don't feel a little bit guilty because spreading fountain pen love is kind of part of what we wanted to do and you know we're we're not just selling you the latest greatest color we're talking about things that we like and this Bennu pen i've just been using it this week with the mont blanc uh brown oh it it is actually lovely and then i did the wonderful things too do you ever do that get a but you're you're pretty good though i think I took a bunch of pens, maybe five pens that were pretty much empty and just cleaned them all and put them away on the weekends. Mm, yeah. I cleaned up my desk. Oh, it made me feel so good about my daily carry. <laughs> yes, I'm very disciplined. So um, I have two pens in my rotation at the moment. Those are the only two pens that need cleaning. So everything else is cleaned. It's in my um, specially designed pen drawer. Um, which is actually an Ikea, Ikea cabinet uh, with some uh, stuff that I sourced from the from the States, sort of, you know, just like that corrugated iron. It's not iron, obviously. It's a little bit of felt mm-hmm. that um, just accommodates pens very nicely. And so only clean pens go in there. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. Mm. So I'll clean the pen whenever I change it. So when I finish this one or these two, I'll immediately... Um, clean them out, put them into soak, and then ink up the new ones. Well, the problem was I hadn't completely killed all of these. They still had that little bit in there, but it wasn't enough to get excited about. So I was just ready for a change, you know. I, uh, otherwise, why not? You you get cluttered. I get cluttered because I get new and exciting and oh look pretty. The ADHD of pens, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. The other problem I have is I have an awfully big writing desk as uh, previously uh, making room for the the big economist diary. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's too easy to put a pen in any one of the, I don't know how many drawers there are. There's got to be, there's got to be somewhere around 40 drawers on this desk. Some of them little, some of them bigs. Um, but yeah, I've got lots of places to put things. So uh, cleaning them, putting them away nicely. I got to get more stew about it, but uh, I'm just lazy, I guess. <laughs> what are you writing with stew? I, well, likewise, no change. So I'm still in my uh, Faber-Castell E-Motion, which is the sort of crocodile and chrome number. Uh, and I am... I'm loving my Sailor 1911. This always gets all the use when it's in the rotation because I just love the pen. Um, it's bright yellow, um, and the ink is a very sort of gentle moss green. Um, and 
this will undoubtedly get used up before the uh, Faber-Castell, just because I, I seem to, with the two in front of me, I always reach for this one. I've just reached for it now to write a note. Um, but yeah, it's a lovely pen. Me, me and my sailors, eh? Hello, sailor, as they say. Oh, we went there. <laughs> All right. Um, our topic of the week, I wanted to talk a little bit about friendships and the importance of friendships. Uh, there's a song out there by Tom B. Wilde called Making Friends at 40. I don't know if you've heard that. Mm. Tom B. Wilde is the guy that had the amazing 2020 COVID anthem, No More Fs to Give. And, and his commentary on trying to make friends at 40, I thought, is quite uh, poignant and quite amusing and, and very much part of life. And I sort of figured making friends at 50 is even harder. <laughs> and so I, I was thinking about the importance of friendship. This year, everything that I've been through with moving, with the challenges around health, around my family, uh, have really got me thinking about friendships and the importance of them. And so I wanted to talk about that. Uh, Stu, you are much more outgoing and you're kind of the guy that I think in the bar makes friends with everybody. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, what, what's your feeling on friends, particularly as we age, because I know you moved a few years ago. How do you, how do you feel about friends at 50? Friends at 50. Um, I think friends for me when I was at school. So, um, just backtracking a little, little bit of context, ladies and gentlemen, or Stuart enjoying the sound of his own voice, whichever you, whichever you believe. Um, I went to boarding school at the age of 10. So at the age of 10, I, I left the world as I knew it and entered a whole new world. And I was um, a little bit of a geek. Um, I was quite smart for my age. I, I spoke with that accent that you like so much, a bit of a Bristol accent. <laughs> Um, and I went to a public school where, uh, everybody spoke with this accent, received pronunciation, um, speak properly, young man. I had to wear a tie, a blazer, shorts, nice. Um, and well, I suppose biggest change of all, I was no longer living at home. I was living at school. So I kind of made friends, uh, with the kids in my dorm. And I think you're 10, 10 a.m. You don't. 10 a.m. <laughs> when you're 10 years old, um, it, you know, I don't think the cliques have really started forming. They started forming quite quickly afterwards. So, you know, by 13, there was definitely a sporty clique and all that sort of stuff. Uh, puberty gets involved and it messes everything up, Stu. There was all of that jazz going on. And my mother, when she comments on this, was says that that's when she realized that I was a chameleon. And um, I, I can get on with anyone and everyone. So, uh, being at a boarding school, particularly I was at boarding school in a city in which I lived. So my home was there as well. Most, most of my schoolmates were from miles away, but I actually, you know, my mum and dad were, um, as I discovered once by running away from school, a 90 minute walk away. And so it was kind of strange that if I went home for a weekend, then um, I'd be out with my my old friends, as, as I called them. They'd be, all right, go on then, let's go out. 
go on, go on, let's get our bikes. And then on Sunday, I would be taken back to school and it would be, ah, Lennon, there you are. How was X yet? Oh, it's absolutely splendid, sir. Thank you so much for asking. And um, I, I developed this ability to, to fit in wherever I was. And then at sort of 16, I will say I left public school. It's not strictly true. I think they, I left with a size 10 up my backside. Um, but I then went to a, in the UK, it's called a technical college. So uh, somewhere where you specialize in A-levels, 16 to 18-year-old. Uh, and it was the exact opposite of public school. So from my blazer and tie, I was now in ripped jeans and a leather jacket. Um, and we were expected to be very much sort of self-driven. You could smoke, you could do what you want, wherever you want, basically. Um, so it was like a sort of mini version of, of university or college. And so there was a whole new bunch of friends there. I became a rockabilly. Um, if you sort of spoke to me six months before, I had no idea what a rockabilly was, but I became one anyway. Um, and I fitted in with that crew and with that sort of thought process, accent, liked the right stuff, ate the right stuff. I got into bodybuilding, all sorts of nonsense. And then at 18, I went to live in Paris and got a job in financial services. And, you know, it was a whole new peer group. So I, I became very chameleon-like mm. and sort of discovered, I think, uh, that's where I really learned about impermanence was my father was in the Royal Air Force. And so he used to get moved every three years or so. And either we would move with him or we would sort of stay at home base and he would kind of commute six weekly, four weekly, perhaps. He would come home for a long weekend because, for example, he was in Belgium, Brussels, uh, and we were still in Bristol. So he would, every few weeks, he would drive to the ferry, come home with lots of Belgian beer. I remember that. Um, and we would spend some time together and then he would go back again. Um, and with the sort of nature of my own life, I realized that, that most friendships are quite seasonal. They, they exist in a, uh, in a specific time frame. Um, and I, I don't know, I got very reconciled with that. I, I became very good at leaving friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and sometimes I came across as quite heartless. So, you know, people would be, would be going and that they're getting moved to a different country or I'm moving to a different country and I'd be like, all right, see ya. Uh, because it just seemed normal to me. And, uh, you know, I had, had, um, girlfriends wherever. So, well, are you not going to miss them? Uh, yeah, probably. Well, you can keep in touch. Yeah, but I won't. You never do. I just, yeah, I, I just know from experience that's not how it works. So I, I got quite, I guess, hard-hearted or insulated to, to that, that type of thing. I know lots of people who got really traumatized by it. There are lots of forces, uh, forces brats, we used to call ourselves, um, who were sort of or patch kids. <laughs> and we were, we were dragged up on the patches, which are... Um, sort of uh, garrison towns, if you like. Um, and all your friends would disappear every three years because, you know, their dad got posted somewhere. And, and public school was like that too. There would be people coming and going. And you just got very, very, or I got very immune to it, or you got very hurt by it and became very, very unsettled and found all sorts of, um, you know, psychological impacts of that type of thing. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, it's to me, friendship was always something that was quite um, temporary, had a defined schedule. And then occasionally there would be friends that would transcend that. Mm. And those are, are, are what I call the, you know, the real friends, the, the true friends. And there's that saying, um, you know, you're lucky if you have as many friends as you have fingers on one hand uh, over the duration of your lifetime. And I, I've always stuck there. So if I look back at my life, um, which is about the same, same length of life as yours to look back on, I can think of many people who were my friends for a time, but very few who sort of span different eras. Um, and I think that's natural. I think that's normal. Um, and Margaret and I talk about this all the time because she's got the exact opposite sort of experience where um, she was born in London to uh, a Sicilian family. Um, she was born she was born in a hospital but she she was taken home to the house that her dad lived in until he died 47 years later or something um she always lived in that one house the people that were sort of with her through education went through the whole thing of education from the age of five through to the end of university um she moved in the same circle she had a very rooted and sort of grounded um, existence. And so she would look at mine and go, how did you cope with that? And I would say, well, how did you cope with yours? I would have been so bored. And so she finds, um, disruption and moving much harder than I do. So when we moved from London, uh, we got, uh, we got a place together and we got married. Uh, and then we bought a place in London. And for business reasons, for my, my money transfer business, um, I suggested that we might want to move out of London to Hampshire. So rural Hampshire, it's 75 miles from London. It's not exactly uh, the end of the world, but for her, this was a huge thing. She was essentially going to be leaving London, um, at the age of 45, I'm going to guess 44. It'd be the first time that she left London as home as it were. Um, and so we did that and then we moved to another place, you know, a village sort of close by. And of course, eventually I dragged her over here to Cyprus and, um, all of those, those links that you've given, I probably give to her because she finds it incredibly difficult to, um, she has a ten. I'm, I'm rambling, I know, but she has a tendency to, uh, sort of fall in love very quickly. Mm. So, so it'll be, oh, well, those people we met last night, I said, yeah, they were nice, weren't they? Yeah, they're the fantastic. I'm going to go and see so-and-so tomorrow, and then I'm going to see her again for lunch, and we're going for that, we're going to do this, we're going to go shopping. And I'm, I'll be like, okay, all right. Wow, that's that's quite intense. No, no, it's great. I mean, it's, and sort of six weeks later, she'll hate that person. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been this sort of huge, um, oh, we're best mates forever. Oh, no, actually, no, I'm not quite sure I like you very much. Oh, uh, Breeze, would you give me some space? Oh, I hate you. <laughs> All in that sort of period of time. And she's had to learn. Um, she's very trusting. So, so she'll, she's not very guarded when she speaks, whereas I'm, I'm more of a clown, so I'm playing a role, and I will project that role. And within that role, there might be bits of me, but you won't know which, which are true and which are part of the role. 
Um, so I'm I'm kind of insulated and protected. I don't feel betrayed or anything. Whereas, you know, she has genuinely hard days when she's like, I can't believe this person said this or did that. Or, and I'm like, well, you met them six weeks ago. Who cares? <laughs> um, and she's like, no, this is terrible. And um, it's 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 only sort of with hindsight when I look, I go, this is because I've been sort of training for this type of existence all my life. I was a forces brat. I was a public school boy. Uh, and then I was a sort of expatriate knowledge worker bouncing from country to country. And therefore, I'm inured to some of these problems that people experience, I think. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in, in weird ways, my background is completely different. But uh, I, I was born in England. Uh, my parents had a bit of an infatuation with North America. So... You know, every number of years they would try to pack up and move out to North America. And moving out to North America is not always as easy as one would think, you know, even if you are a skilled tradesperson. You know, my dad was a machinist. Um, You had to deal with visas and all the rest of that. So sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, But we, we moved around a lot as well. And I sort of very easily got to the, a similar part to you. I think rather than making friends and losing them as, as easily, I was less inclined to make friends. Mm-hmm. I sort of became more isolated. Uh, part of that was I was, what, 10 years old when we moved from England to Los Angeles. And that's about the time, you know, that, uh, well, as you said, from 10 years old, moving moving uh, in with the boys club, and then all of a sudden, all the dynamics happen as soon as sort of puberty kicks in. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember talking to a girl that I liked, and all she wanted me to do was talk in an English accent because I was kind of like a parent. Go on, say something, say something. And uh, as, as a young boy in lust or in love or you know, just infatuated because, you know, at those days I, I hardly knew how to talk to a girl at the best of times, uh, 50 years later, not so much better, but, um, (laughs) you know, I, I just kind of look at that and I realized how, you know, we lived in LA for three years, but we lived in two different towns in that time. I went to three different schools and then we moved back to England and all of a sudden in England, I was considered the American cowboy because I had adapted a little bit to the American way of life and a couple of years in England, two different towns, two different places. And all of a sudden we're back in Toronto. So yeah, I think like you, I never really learned how to make good friends. Um, my earliest friend, long-term friend that I have is a guy that I went to university with in the nineties. And, uh, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're close, but we, we touch base every so often, you know, once every few years, we'll, we'll go out, catch a game or, you know, do something, uh, that that's nice to hang out, but not, you know, not really close friends. And I think that's part of why friendship has become something that's, that's on my mind. Um, my wife, uh, is she, she grew up in the same place. Uh, she, she went to school and stayed in the same area. She lived out of town for university and then came back. Um, but Mm -hmm. she has 
friends, long-term friends. Her best friend from high school is still one of her best friends. Uh, you know, people that she has worked with and connected with, you know, from 15 years ago, 20 years ago almost, are still in her life as good friends. And I think for me, you know, part of this is realizing that friendships for me are, uh, or maybe it's guys, maybe it's miserable old guys in our fifties. I don't know where it is, but yeah, I'm a little bit like Stu in that friendships, they, they come and go, but true friendships are so important when you, when you make one. Mm -hmm. um, that, that it's, it's really, I find it harder and harder to make friends. I mean, I mean, I'm thinking sort of this last year, I, I realized that a lot of friends that I thought, you know, now they're 450 kilometers away, uh, things die off and I guess that's okay. Sure. You know, that's yep. where they, they were friends, but they weren't true friends. Hmm. Um, True friends come from the weirdest places. And I still have people that I talk to on, our, on a very regular basis that, you know, perhaps I didn't think we were as close uh, when we were, when I got to know them, but have stayed as true friends over time. Uh, and, you know, making new friends is, well, it's a lot more challenging. Um, COVID, um, remote, you know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how do we make some good friends mm. or how do you, how do you get there? Because this has certainly been something that I think if, if we think about, if I think about, if I think about, you know, sort of how I'm making friends now, I've, I've luckily made some good friends up here. Um, but it's, it's been an interesting journey and, and it's something that is, is harder for me to codify and is harder for me to to trust or, you know, to trust that this is going to be a good friend. I don't want to become a Mrs. L type relationship where all of a sudden you're my hot flame for a few weeks. And then I decide, okay, well, we don't, I don't actually like you anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm much more thoughtful about the time investments that I put into friendships nowadays. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Mrs. L has a wonderful saying, um, it's an Italian saying called Amici del Bar, which is friends of the bar. So, um, that's always been, you know, since the age of probably, well, 15, which is illegal, but let's skate over that. Um, I've been, uh, I've been the first guy in the bar and often the last guy in the bar. Um, I, I've got, um, sort of long arms and shallow pockets. So I'm more than happy to, to buy people drink. And I, I have a, a larger than life persona. So I'm the guy that's well, possibly annoying you, making a lot of noise, telling jokes, laughing. And that's always been my sort of key to sort of unlocking the social um, conundrum that is the world we live in. Um, and that obviously gets a little bit complicated if you stop drinking. So <laughs> it's harder. Or stop going outside to bars. <laughs> <laughs> or indeed stop going out to bars. So it's, you know, it's much, much harder to, to then amend. And there's all sorts of issues that, that sort of come with that. But the, the phrase Amici del Bar is, is all about, I think, having that understanding that there are people that you will, um, that you will meet in whatever circumstance, whether it be in the bar or through work or through our hobby, who will be 
sort of contextual friends within that context, you will, um, there'll be, you know, one step up maybe from acquaintances. So uh, to give you an example, there's, there's a bunch of guys here when our sort of local taverna uh, sat empty for a while. Now, it was during COVID, so who cares? But then once COVID began to go away, I was like, oh, wow, we really need that to open again because, um, you know, it's great to have a taverna around the corner where you can go and eat and have a beer. And, um, and it got taken over. And it got taken over by a different type of business. So it's much more upmarket. It's a steakhouse. Um, and we were talking about it. We were, they invited everybody for free food and drink, which is always a good way to start in my view. And we were talking, we said, but we've got to support this guys because you know, these guys will go out of business if, if they don't get the, the people coming across the threshold. So we agreed that every Tuesday, uh, we would meet up, um, and just sit around, have you beers, just the boys. And on Wednesday, uh, the ladies were going to do the same thing. So we're going to create two little sort of, you know, social circles just to keep them ticking over. That's that type of thing. Um, something went wrong with the ladies. I don't know what, but they immediately started going to each other's houses, which somewhat defeated the object, but Hey, <laughs> um, and, and we kept going. Um, and of course, Margaret being Margaret, she went, Oh, I'm going to come with you guys. Much more fun. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but these are Amici del Bar. So we'll talk. Um, these are um, sort of older than me, maybe by anywhere from 10 to 30 years. Some of them, I think it's fair to say they're, they're friends I don't like very much. Can you say that? Is it? Mm. Um, I'll give you an example. I went last Tuesday, I went, hi guys, how are you doing? Sat down. And one of them turned to me and said, so we've got for prime minister then. Oof. <laughs> okay. Look, I appreciate that you're a little bit older and that you been living here for a long time but really i can't i can't let you do that sort of stuff you can't say things like that uh it's racist it's unpleasant and it's completely unnecessary it's also factually nonsense but stop just stop it which is not the sort of you know conversation the way you want to start the conversation in the bar but uh, am i going to hold it against this guy no i'm i'm going to say my piece and if he disagrees with me he disagrees with me that's fine but those, those people, would I count them as friends? In one way, yes, and in one way, no. They're not friend friends, but they're important social interactions. And he will, I don't think he'll change his views. I don't, I don't think I've you know, brought him to the light, but he will avoid saying that type of thing to me because, well, as you may have gathered, I'm not backward in coming forward if somebody offends me. So that sort of circle of of friendships i think is probably not what we're talking about today but i think that's where you find friends i think real friendships tend to happen by accident yeah and and i think that was kind of where i wanted to talk about you know making friends um because i think you're exactly right you you start been friendly and then you move to an acquaintance and then you move to a friend and once in a a blue moon, you'll find a, a, a true friend, a real friend that mm -hmm. is the one that you can count on no matter what. Yep. And those, as we get older, are hard to find. And if you find them, hold on to them, work at it. Sure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I threw down some thoughts on tips for making friends from at, at least my point of view over the last year. And I'd, I'd love to get sort of your opinion and your, your input, Stu. 
Mm. Um, first thought was be very open to making friends, to saying hi to people, to being friendly. And, and that sounds ridiculous, but in this day and age where we walk around glued to our phones and with our headphones in and we pass by interactions so much. I noticed this particularly going back to the city the last time, how insulated everybody is. Out here, if I'm out walking the dog, people in their cars driving past, these are people on the main highway that goes past my, well, main highway. There's one road that goes out to another street mm -hmm. or to another town. It, it's not particularly busy. Um, you know, it's, it's one lane each direction. So it's not major highway, but these are people that live in a different, a different town, different area than I do. They don't know me. They don't know who I am, but they'll wave as I drive past. And that openness is, is amazing. You know, you go into town and you can have a conversation with the guy at the hardware store or, you know, the girl inside the pet store, you know, any of these things can be wonderful ways to start a conversation. You never know where they're going to lead. So, you know, be, be mindful of your, your openness to engage with people. Uh, get outside, um, get a hobby. Get a dog. Dogs, really good. Mm -hmm. Going for a walk. I've I've met almost everybody in in my neighborhood. I know who they all are now. Um, engage in a sport, in an activity. Now COVID seems to be, at least uh, as we write this before the next wave or whatever comes through, seems to be going away. Maybe there's an opportunity to get out and find people that have something in common with you. One thing I learned this summer, never say no to an opportunity. You never know what will blossom. Mm. So one of, you know, talking about the dog, walking around the neighborhood, one of the houses we pass, uh, we've stopped and had a, a few chats with uh, the guys that live there. And one of them invited me to go out, learn how to chop down trees to make firewood. I have a fire pit in my backyard. I thought it'd be a fun thing to do. Um, and I've sort of become friends with that group of friends that, that, uh, that do that. And it's, it's been, you know, d d different people of different socioeconomic status, different jobs, different careers. Um, there, you know, if you look at the checklist of, well, this is where we're going to agree you know, even political idealism, everybody's on a completely different side, but we've actually become really good friends. Not sure about true friends yet, but really good friends just from an opportunity to go out and chop some wood. And that's, that's really kind of cool. Um, so I would also say, don't judge, don't judge based on socioeconomic status. I mean, your friend, obviously, I'm going to, with a comment like that, I'm guessing is probably going to react differently to people of different ethnic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't judge on that. The people that you meet are, can be amazing and, and it can be so easy for us 
all to to look in the mirror and say, this is who I want to be around. You know, re, you read, read a lot of the self-help um, hustle literature. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're not the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. When it comes to friendship, it doesn't matter who's the smartest. It's finding people that you can connect with. Um, one thing that I thought uh, that it, take the lead in making some opportunities. Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, do you want to do that? It's kind of like dating all over again. And well, dating was never fun the first time, Stu. Um, having to do that again at my age with a whole bunch of new friends, it's quite uncomfortable, but it's, it's a cool thing when it actually works. Sometimes it won't, you know, sometimes you'll have some interactions. It never goes anywhere. And that's cool too. If you're friendly, if you're open, you don't have to be friends with everybody. You could be pleasant with people too. And realize if even a grumpy old bugger like me can make friends at my age, anybody could do it. So that's kind of my, my thoughts on it. Uh, Stu, anything, any tips of making friends that you have that I hadn't thought about? Uh, I think the ones that you've um, mentioned are good. It's all about connectivity, isn't it? It's about, um, I mean, it's not rocket science. It's, it's old fashioned, you know, be neighborly. So anyone who lives within, I don't know, a couple of miles of you is your neighbor one way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And when you see them, you, you say, hi, that, simple as that. Um, one from my, from my old, old persona as a, as a trainer, um, and I'm going to murder the quote. So my apologies now to, to Rudyard Kipling. But he said, um, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Um, ask questions. If you ask questions when you meet people, then they think, well, this guy is interested in me. And they will warm to you. Um, and they will tell you about themselves, about life, about where you are, obviously in the right context and the, and the right way. Asking questions and listening to the answers is how you make relationships. Mm. Um, the talk, 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 which all of us tend to do when we're nervous and me, well, I tend to do it all the time, <laughs> can be, can be bad for you. Listening is great. You've got two ears, one mouth, try and use them in that proportion. And if you ask people questions like, so how do you get that firewood? Oh, well, actually we go out and we cut it and you, wow, is it really difficult? Or well, how do you do that? Those types of questions are what create a relationship because people generally want to help other people and they want to inform other people. And so I think asking questions or as you've put it, take the lead is important. These things do kind of happen on their own, but you can make them happen a lot faster and a lot more regularly if you initiate things, if you ask people what they're up to. So um, classic ones in any, any customer service environment, you'll be taught to say, don't say hello, say hello, how are you? Because that requires a response, even if the response is, I'm fine. The, po the polite response is, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm really good. Thanks. I'm new to the area. Boom. You're in a conversation. That, that's how it works. So I think those things are, are really important. And I suppose for me personally, the thing that I've always felt 
is that um, I don't see friendships as transactional. Um, and this is where Margaret and I will differ. Margaret can be very offended by someone doing something or not doing something. I'm not. So uh, if I feel that I can help someone by saying something or doing something or you know, providing them some sort of service, then I will, because I believe that's my duty as a good friend. If they don't reciprocate, that's okay. I, I, I don't judge them for that. It doesn't bother me. Whereas Margaret kind of has a ledger <laughs> going in her mind of, you know, I'm always doing these things for that person and they're not reciprocating. Therefore, this friendship is one-sided. Therefore, I'm terminating it. Mm. I don't work that way. I'll keep doing things. And I may get to the point where I think, well, you know, what am I getting from this? Is this person? But I will hopefully be in a stage there where I'd be able to talk to the person about it. Or I guess I would just fade away. But um, I generally find that... People like that are few and far between, in my experience. There are some out there, of course. Um, but it, it's a stoic point of view. You know, what can I control? I can control how I am. I can't control how other people are. So I concentrate on being the best that I can be and, you know, sort of have faith that even if there isn't a direct reciprocation, the whole thing balances itself out in the end. Mm. Wow. Very good view. I'm just thinking about that in in terms of my own um, approach. And yes, I think you're you're absolutely right. To, you know, holding that balance sheet, uh, which as an accountant is very easy to do, <laughs> for sure. It's in the blood, I would say. I, yeah, it is. It's uh, you know, I, I I've I've got to get my Excel spreadsheets out and uh, have have a for and against column. Of, no. <laughs> Just be yourself, you know, reach out. People have busy lives, you know, and, and sometimes, I don't know, Stu, do you, do you have friends that you don't talk to for years even, and then you talk to them and it's like not a day has passed? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. There are, uh, th those friends that I would consider, um, okay, well, all right. Uh, you and I have both been married twice. Um, and st still on number two, if anybody's asking. And um, I'd say my two closest friends, my two best men, who I um, still maintain contact with, but there have been periods of our lives where we haven't spoken. I mean, one of them fired me once. Oh. Um, which, that put a bit of a dent in the relationship, I have to say. Um, but after a while, um, I ended up going into business with him. But that's that's a story for another podcast. Um, and we don't talk now particularly often. I mean, he lives in the UK. I don't. Um, but every, I don't know, every four or five months, one of us will call the other for another reason. And we'll be laughing and joking before, you know, before the call has gone 30 seconds. So hmm. I, I definitely have. I just want to, I just want to hit you with a little anecdote, a little friendship anecdote. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this, this will be, um, on the blog around about the same time as, as this episode goes out. So. Um, I'm reading a book, or I've read a book, um, about Kolditz, the uh, prisoner of war camp in the Second World War in eastern Germany. So not far from Leipzig and Dresden, if you want to try and place it geographically. And it was a castle. And it was intended for those troublesome prisoners of war who kept trying to escape. They were, you know, they were considered a bit of a pain in the backside. 
Now, there was the, this book is full of treasures that have just blown my mind entirely. Uh, and, but the best one was, was right at the end. Um, and it's about friendship, funnily enough. But to get there, I need to explain who this guy is. All right. Uh, he turned up in, uh, in Colditz in, I don't know, 43, perhaps, 42, I'm not sure. Um, his name is Mickey Byrne. And he's, he's, he's a posh Englishman. So he was born in Mayfair to wealthy parents. His, um, his father worked for the Duchy of Cornwall, which is kind of where the, the Prince of Wales money comes from. So he's connected to royalty. And this guy, in common with a lot of British aristocrats around the time, was very interested in this guy called Hitler, who was making making the trains run on time and was getting Germany back on its feet after the disasters of the First World War and, well, seemed a, seemed a terribly good chap. So he was completely infatuated, as much of the upper class in, in England was. And he met Hitler. Uh, he got a signed copy of Mein Kampf. Um, but this, this fellow was, was larger than life. He was, uh, was theatrical. Um, he, he was a... Uh, an extrovert. He was bisexual, which, you know, in the thirties and forties wasn't that straightforward in England or anywhere, I don't think. Um, but he was, he was a bit of a fella and having been a sort of Hitlerite, he, he switched completely and became a communist. So he spent some time with some, uh, miners in the North of England and sort of saw poverty right up close and decided that the answer to this was communism. And then from there, war was declared and he joined the army and he became a commando, uh, was involved in a very famous raid on a place called Saint-Nazaire where he was blowing up dry docks, essentially. Uh, he got captured and then escaped and escaped and escaped and eventually he was brought to Colditz. Now, after he was released, so October 1945, the war had been won, um, he received a letter from an old friend, an old flame, if you like, um, a woman called Ella van Heemstra. So I'm just, I'm just going to read you this little paragraph from the book that stopped me in my tracks, okay? So in October 1945, Mickey Byrne received a letter from his one-time lover, Ella van Heemstra. Her family had suffered grievously under Nazi occupation, and Ella's daughter, Audrey, who had dreams of becoming a dancer, was suffering from jaundice, anemia, and an infection caused by malnutrition. Ella asked Byrne if he could help her obtain penicillin, a wonder drug that might save Audrey's life. Byrne sent thousands of cigarettes, which Van Heemstra sold on the black market, and bought the medicine. The girl recovered and went on to become an actress. She is better known as Audrey Hepburn. I just think that's incredible <laughs> that this guy had done this amazing thing, uh, had this incredible life, and then just as a favour to a friend, ended up saving the life of Audrey Hepburn. It's amazing what those little details, those little actions that seem insignificant to us at the time can affect the world in all sorts of big ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just, you know, this guy clearly, okay, this is an ex-lover of his. 
she's had a, you know she's moved on he's moved on um she's she's having a tough time so he goes out of his way to help and in so doing gives the world Audrey Hepburn I just think it's incredible that's what uh that's what friendship can do that's the importance of friendship <laughs> wow um yeah I I'll agree with the importance of friendship I I want to have a shout out to two good friends. I'm not going to use the word special friends because that just gets weird and creepy. <laughs> uh, to Stu and TJ, this year was a particularly tough one for me, you know, with, with everything that happened with the move up here with my wife been diagnosed with cancer at the same time. I could not have got through this year as well as I did without my two friends helping me. And, and we, we have a conversation as I referred to earlier, Stu and I have a conversation every couple of weeks with TJ on the weekend that we don't record. It's just for us. And that has been a lifesaver for me. So I just want to thank, thank both those guys, you know, true friends, they're the people that come th through for you when you need them. And both of these guys have been that for me. So, uh, thank you so much for that. All right, Stu, before my computer dies, uh, any takeaways this time? Uh, well, obviously my, my friend Justin uh, does me far too much credit. I, I think it's TJ that's been giving the good advice, but thank you for saying it anyway. Um, I think a great takeaway is um, there's an old Irish saying that you'll find plastered over Irish pubs everywhere. I think, well, I know actually that these Irish pubs are all made from stuff that comes out of Taiwan. You can actually buy an Irish pub flat-packed um, and you will have in that flat pack, you'll have a sign that says, there are no strangers here, only friends not yet met, um, which is accredited to Yates. Um, I'm not sure if he ever actually wrote it, but um, it's a great, a great way to look at life. Everybody that you meet is potentially a friend and uh, meet them with an open heart, meet them with a smile and meet them with eye contact. Don't be creepy. Um, and ask some questions about who they are and why they're there. And you will meet some fascinating people. And perhaps one day you'll save the life of the next Audrey Hepburn. Who knows? What about you, Justin? Be open. You know, even if you have good friends, be open to meeting new people. If you're out and about, avoid being glued to your phone or with the headphones, even if it means you don't always get to listen to us on time. Um, have fun, enjoy talking to people, enjoy the interactions and see where they lead. And if you really need to meet people, get a dog, get a princess. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Sue, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, you can find me at stuartlennon.com, which is where you'll find my writing. You can find me at nerosnotes.co.uk, where you'll find some excellent stationery, including some lovely notebooks. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, at Stu Lennon, where I'm, you know, railing against the world most of the time. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Well, a lot less places than they could have last week, that's for sure, based on me quitting everything. <laughs> uh, easiest place to find both of us is stationaryadjacent.com. You can find more about me at justintwyfer.com. Hopefully there'll be my stationary blog ported over there at some point. Um, and please feel free to send us an email, stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Uh, please take a moment to like and review our podcast on whatever you're listening to us on. 
really appreciate it. And we really do appreciate if you could put in a good word to anybody, you know, that you think might get something from there. Maybe a friend you're trying to make. It's a good hint. This is a good episode for that. Our next topic is going to be on the economies of notebooks. But until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.